Hey, well, good morning. Yeah, it's getting hot out there. You guys know how to turn up the heat up here. Do you know that? Here, it's really good. But I've got my way of fighting back. I want you to see this. I, uh, I'm telling you, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. That's what I'm saying right there. All right, so I'm bringing a little bit of Carlsbad with me right here. All right. Hey, well, it's great to be with you today as uh, we, we enter into a time of teaching. So let's uh, go before the Lord and uh, start with a word of prayer and then ask him to help us see what he wants us to hear today. Father, thank you for just an incredible day for us to come together as your people and to worship you and then to come and sit at your feet, really. And as the disciples would do, Jesus, and you'd have something important. You'd sit down as their rabbi and, and they'd gather around you and you'd teach them how to do life. And Lord, we come as your disciples today and we sit around your, your feet and we, we let you sit in our midst and we say, Jesus, would you teach us? And we just acknowledge your presence here. You said where two or three are gathered that you are there in the midst and we've got way more than two or three. So we're asking you to be our rabbi today. We pray this in your name, amen. Well, we're continuing this series we've been in for several weeks now called 11 Laws to Live By. And if you're new here, we always like to stop just for a second and bring you up to speed. Um, that when we talk about 11 laws, we're not talking about like laws of the land, kind of a legalistic sort of approach to life. You know, if you break the law, you get thrown into jail. We're really talking about more like the laws of nature, which simply describe this is how life works. You know, you drop something off a 10-story building, it's going to fall. You go down to the ocean, you're gonna see the, the, the water ebb and flow because of the tides and the moon and so on. We know that the different seasons of the year, it's gonna get hotter, it's gonna get colder because we, we revolve around the sun in different ways. And so laws of nature just describe this is how life works. Well, these 11 laws that we're looking at, that's what we're doing. We're looking at how does life work, but not so much in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. And these are 11 of the most important lessons I've ever learned. They flow really out of God's word, directly out of God's word. I'm just giving names to them. And as we start this journey as a church, each week we're unpacking one of these laws to say, here's some values, here's how the word of God would guide us as we head into this future together. So today we come to law number five, and it's the law of truth. And there on your note sheet, if you don't have your note sheet open, why don't you take it out? It's called the message notes, very creatively titled. And uh, it's the white, white note sheet there inside of your bulletin. And so law number five, it goes like this, that honesty is the first step towards spirituality. Now I need to do some uh, defining here. When I talk about spirituality, all I'm talking about is being a spiritual person. You know, the Bible says when we first come to Jesus, we need to be born again by the Spirit. And then the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, we need to grow up and become spiritual people. So when I talk about spirituality, I'm just talking about that process of becoming like Jesus, becoming a spiritual person who's led uh, by the Holy Spirit. And the law basically says that if you want to become a, a spiritual person, you want to become like Jesus, the very first step is that you have to learn what I'll call later, you have to learn to be ruthlessly honest with yourself about what's happening inside of yourself, both your thoughts, your feelings, and why you do what you do. And we'll jump into that later, but right now we're gonna start with the word of God. So let's turn to 1 John chapter one. Now this is an amazing passage. There's one verse in here that's very famous. You'll, you'll note it when we get there. Uh, that one verse has often, I think, been misinterpreted, by the way. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. When we get to 1 John, John was, uh, 
probably the, the closest person to Jesus of his disciples. He was called the disciple that Jesus loved. And so if, any, um, if anyone knows how to have a relationship with Jesus, it would be John, his closest friend. And this passage, he's going to talk to us about how do you have a relationship with God, but he's going to use a term that we don't use a lot in uh, modern day world today. He's gonna use the word fellowship. Now, of course, we use the word fellowship as Christians. We're about the only one who uses this word. Um, but um, we use it to describe potlucks, okay? So, which is not exactly what Jesus had, I mean, what John had in mind. I was so excited a few years ago when this word got resurrected by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, you know, he, he wrote the book, um, you know, the, Lord, the series of Lord of the Rings. And uh, then, of course, it became movies. And do you, any of you remember the name of the first movie or the first book? The Fellowship of the Ring. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the, what that book was about was about this one little hobbit, Frodo Baggins, and his eight buddies. Uh, and they were made up of elves and dwarves and men and hobbits and wizards. And these nine people, they formed a fellowship of the ring. And their whole purpose was to create this tight-knit band of brothers sort of thing who would go and destroy the ring of power so the evil Lord Sauron wouldn't get it and rule the world. You remember, you remember the story. And J.R.R. Tolkien, when he was describing that tight-knit band of brothers, he called it the fellowship of the ring. Well, that gets us much closer to the biblical concept of fellowship. It's a circle, I'll call it the circle of fellowship that God involves us, uh, invites us to, to enter in. But when John writes about it here in 1 John, it's not fellowship of the ring, it's fellowship of the Father and of the Son. And the whole point is that God invites us to step into the circle of fellowship with himself. And John's gonna tell us what does it take to enter into the circle of fellowship. And we'll see later, it takes a couple things, but one of the things that we'll see it takes is it takes a radical commitment to honesty. So let's jump in. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Now, of course, he'd seen and heard a lot. You know, he was Jesus' closest friend. So he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, underline that. He says, so this is the topic. How do you have fellowship with, with God? And he said, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So I'm calling this the circle of fellowship, Okay that inside the circle, and we'll even diagram this out later, but inside the circle is the Father and the Son. We're on the outside. God invites us into the circle to have fellowship with him. And that's why John's writing this letter to tell us how to have that kind of relationship. Now John says in verse five, this is the message that we have heard from him, from Jesus, and we declare to you. Like if we were to say that John, you were with Jesus for three years, could you just sum it all up in a single sentence. What's the message you heard from Jesus? Well, here it is. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So that's where you have to begin. God is light. Now, what does it mean that God is light? Well, it means that God is everything that is good, and everything that's right, and everything that's true. And you ask, well, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible tells us. In fact, there on your note sheet, Look what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. He says, you were once darkness. In other words, before you came to Jesus, before you came to Christ, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. 
For the fruit of the light consists in three things. Let's say them together. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. You see that? He says that's what the light is. The right light is about goodness, it's about righteousness and truth. He says God is light. He's all goodness, he's all righteousness, he's all true. He always does what's right, never does what's wrong. He always does what's good, never does what's bad. Always does what's true, never does what's false. That's by definition, that's where God lives. That's the neighborhood God lives in. God lives in the circle of light neighborhood. So if you wanna move in with God, you gotta move into his neighborhood is the point. Okay, so. He says in verse six, so if we claim to have fellowship with him, we claim that we've moved into his neighborhood, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. We're just kind of fooling ourselves. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, there's that word again, we have fellowship. So in order to have fellowship, you have to move into the light. But notice this, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want you to catch that, very important, that to walk in the light does not mean that we will not have sin in our life. What it means is that we will be pure, will allow God to purify us from sin, you see that? So it's like, lots of times people think that to have a relationship with God, you have to get all better first. You have to clean up at the doorstep, so to speak. You have to be perfect, you come in and now God will have a relationship. John says no, you don't have to be perfect but you do have to be honest. Look what he says next. If we claim to be without sin, notice we're not being honest about ourselves, then we deceive ourselves, we're not being honest, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, in other words, if we're just honest about what is true about myself, if I confess my sins, then God is faithful, he's just, And catch, he'll do two things. He'll not only forgive me my sins, but he'll also purify me, cleanse me, change me from all unrighteousness. Now, if we claim we have not sinned, we go back to this deception idea now, then we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our life. So what does it take to have fellowship with God? Well, there uh, on your note sheet, I've got a section, I think you have to turn the page. Remember, the law of honesty says that honesty is the first step to spiritual growth, to spirituality. And I wanna unpack that some. So I wanna talk about what does it take to grow. We're gonna do the two-step of honesty today. Okay, number one. Step number one is that if you want to grow, you need to start practicing ruthless honesty with yourself and with God. Now notice, it's not say, if you wanna grow, you need to start practicing ruthless honesty with your spouse. Don't you notice that? (laughs) Not with your best friend. Not with your coworkers. With yourself, all right? The first step to grow, then I wanna camp here for just a minute. Let's just become, the last few years, I've just become so convinced of this in my life, that if we wanna grow and be like Jesus, the very first step before all other steps is we have to make a commitment to radical honesty in our life. That we will be ruthlessly honest about what's going on inside of us, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, why we're doing what we're doing, what our motives are, and this is the very first step. Now you ask, well why would that be, Mike? Why is it the first step? Because 
if we're not honest with ourselves, even Jesus can't help us. Now let me flesh this out a little bit. This is not just true spiritually, this is true in all of life. The first step to getting better at anything is always admitting you need to get better, right? I just think about it. Um, like, let's say your finances are in a mess. Um, the first step to getting better is to say, I've got a problem with my finances, right? No one's gonna get better until we admit that. Now, lots of times we rationalize, oh, it's really not that bad. Well, I'll just get another credit card. Well, my spending limit, that, I mean, 50,000, anyone really expect anyone to live off 50,000 of credit? Come on, I need more credit, you see? So we can rationalize these things, but the first step to getting better at your finances is coming to a place where you say, I've got a problem. I spend more than I make. And you're never gonna get better at handling your finances until you come to grips with that, right? Okay, let's take another example. Let's say that your marriage is in trouble. You have a, your marriage is not very good. Well, what's the first step to getting better? It, it's just admitting that there's a problem, right? I don't know how many couples I've counseled where one person thinks there's a problem, the other person doesn't. <laughs> what are you talking about? We have a good marriage. I'm happy with our marriage. I don't know what's with her, but uh, I'm good. I'm good with this. We're doing great. And she's about ready to go crazy, you see? And I meet with a husband like that you know, I have to pull them aside and separately and talk to them and I'll say, hey, can I tell you something? One of two things, you've been married for 15 years, your wife's been trying to get your attention for the last seven. She's left books out, she's doing tapes there, she's tried nagging, she's tried trusting God. You know, she's got all through the routine. Your future is gonna be one of two things. Either she's going to leave you or you're gonna live a parallel life and have no interaction with your wife. And this is gonna happen within the next two years. And so you can either take this seriously and decide to get some help, or you can choose your destiny. I'm just the messenger. I've had so many guys say, you're kidding me. I say, no, it's just the truth. That's the truth about your marriage. Wow, okay, I guess I better get some help. See, the first step to getting better in any area of life is coming to a place where you recognize I've got a problem, I need to get better. Well, it's true spiritually, true. You see, God, let's say you're a jealous person. You can't get rid of that unless you admit that jealousy is your motivation. You're apathetic towards the things of God. You just don't have a passion for God. You used to, you don't anymore. Well, you can't get better until you admit that, you see? That we can never get better at anything in life until we admit it. That's why honesty is the first step towards growth in any area of our life. Now, of course, a, a classic example of this is in our health. We've all known people who have had this pain in their side or their chest for a long period of time. Well, I don't wanna go to the doctor, well, why? He might tell me I'm sick. <laughs> uh, you are sick. Uh, you know, the doctor's not gonna make you sick, he's just gonna diagnose what's wrong. But we've all known people like that, you know, well, it'll get better. See, even the best doctor in the world can't help you get better unless you're willing to admit your symptoms. You see how this works? Jesus said this in his teaching. Uh, he went to the religious leaders of his day. They were upset with him because he'd hang out with all the sinners. And so he said there in your note sheet, Mark chapter two, verse 15 through 17. 
He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the, the righteous, but sinners. You know, there's only one kind of person that Jesus can't help. It's the kind of person who doesn't think they're sick. Only kind of person. See, and until we're honest with Jesus about what's going on inside with us, even Jesus can't help us. See, honesty is the first step. Now, this is really the message of 1 John chapter 1. I want you to open your Bibles here, and let's talk back, let's go back and look at this. John's message is that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that God is calling us into fellowship, into the circle of fellowship, the circle of light. But there are certain things we have to leave behind. Now, what does this look like? And I want to take some time and flesh this out, because this is just the core to what we're, we're going after today. There's a uh, PowerPoint diagram that's going to come up here. You have this on your note sheet as well. But I just want to catch, so if you can see it better up there, watch it on the PowerPoint. If you can see it better on your note sheet, watch it there. But you'll notice that first of all, we have the light and the darkness. We have a circle of light. If you can see it, it says on top, circle of fellowship. So this is the circle of fellowship that John's talking about. God is inviting us to come out of the darkness and to move into the circle of light where we have fellowship with the Father and Son. But in order to do that, according to the book of 1 John, there's two things that we have to leave behind. Now the first is more obvious, we'll, we won't spend as much time there, and the second one is where we wanna camp today. But the first one is disobedience. Very clearly, in the book of 1 John, God, what, what John's message is, God is light, and him is no darkness at all, so if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we live in the darkness, in other words, we pursue a life of disobedience. We know what God wants, but we're gonna do it anyway. He says, clearly, we can't, we're not living in the light. We're not in the fellowship. We may deceive ourselves. We may talk about how close we are with Jesus. Oh, how God's working in my life. But if we're living in high-handed, deliberate sin, we're just fooling ourselves. You know, it's just a joke. And th by the way, there's a lot of Christians out there who are living a joke, right? You meet them, and they say, oh, I'm following Jesus, you know? Great, you know? You get in their, their business, they have a reputation for ripping people off. They're living with their girlfriend. They're, you know, it's just, they're, they're back, they're known as the worst gossip in the office. And it's like, you're just like, man, just help us out. Help out the cause. Keep quiet. So, <laughs> so John says there are people out there. They're just self-deceived. They, they claim to have fellowship with God, but they're living in darkness. And so that's the, dark, the, the darkness of disobedience. We have to leave that behind. That's clear. But we already talked about that. Remember in, in week number two, Law number two, the law of obedience, that obedience is the door, a key that unlocks the door to, to experiencing God. And so we've already talked about that. That's not our topic today. There's a second kind of darkness that John says we have to leave behind if we're gonna have fellowship with God. And this is the one that's important for us. It's the darkness of denial. And by denial, all I mean is not being honest with God about who we are, what's going on in our life. You see this in chapter one, verse eight. He said, if we claim to be without sin, well, I'm doing fine, God, there's nothing going on. I know it looks like I hate that guy at work, but um, it's really not. Um, yeah, it looks, like, uh, it looks like I'm really jealous, but really, I'm good, you know? So we're, we're, just, we're claiming to be without sin. We're claiming not to have issues then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
So we can't have fellowship with God unless we have fellowship on his terms. And his terms are honesty. Now think about this. This is how human relations work. It's impossible to have a relationship with someone if they're not a trustworthy person, isn't it? Like if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone and they're not being honest with you, what do you do? You instinctively pull back, don't you? Because relationship is always based on trust. Trust is the currency, the coinage of relationship. If there's no trust, there can be no relationship. Well, guess what? God refuses to do relationship with us if we're not honest with him. Now, this is why confession is such a big deal. There in your notes, I mean, there in your Bible, you have this famous verse that I think we've often abused or misunderstood. Verse nine, one nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all. How many of you have memorized that verse? Yeah, a lot of you. This is one of the first verses that we teach to new Christians. They say, hey, you've become a Christian now, and so one of the things you need to do is you need to daily confess your sins. If you don't confess your sins, it'll break your relationship with God. He won't hear your prayers, and so you need to, to end. And, and sometimes we've made the mistake of almost making this like a ritualistic hoop that we have to jump through. So you're laying down in bed tonight, and you're starting to say your prayers or whatever, and you go, oh, did I do anything wrong today? Because if I did anything wrong, and I don't confess it, then God's not gonna hear me, right? Have you heard that kind of teaching? And so you kind of rack your brain. Well, yeah, at the gas station, I, I wasn't that nice to the clerk. God, would you forgive me for that, you know? Let's see, uh, oh, I raised my voice at this. And we start trying to rack our brain because out of fear, we're afraid that if we don't jump through the appropriate hoop, that God won't forgive us. That's not what this passage is saying. Here's what it's saying. What it's saying is, God is saying, I refuse to do relationship with people who aren't honest about who they are and what's going on in their life. So, if you have sin going on in your life, you have wrong thoughts, you have wrong emotions, you've got wrong motives, he said, I need you to bring yourself as you are into my presence and just be you and be honest about that. And here's what I want you to catch. What he says is God can always deal with our honesty. He says he can forgive us and he can purify us, cleanse us, change us. But he says the one thing he cannot deal with is us not being honest with ourselves and with him about what's really happening in our life. That's the one thing that God cannot deal with. You know, it amazes me sometimes. You'll see someone who's supposedly been a Christian for 30 years and they are no more like Jesus than they were 30 years ago. They're just as ornery, just as creepy, just as big of a gossip, just as tight with their money, uh, just as critical. And you kind of ask yourself, how is this possible for someone to walk with Jesus, the source of all goodness and righteousness and truth, for 30 years and not have some of it rub off on them. How is that possible? Well, I got, you, I got the answer for you. They never entered the circle of light. They never brought that critical spirit before Jesus. They were never honest about their jealousies. They were never honest about their orneriness. And so guess what? They're unchanged. They're gonna be like that until the day they die. In fact, they'll probably get worse. I have this theory that the older you get, you either get better or you get worse. If you're on a growth path, you'll get better. If you're on a death path, you'll get worse. 
but they're not gonna become like Jesus. Why? Because they have never been honest. Have they had that critical spirit? Yes, they have. Have they had that jealousy or that lust? Yes, they have. But they never brought it into the presence. They never came as they are. Remember that song, Just As I Am? That's not a song just for coming to Jesus. That's an everyday song. Just as I am. I come as I am. I come into your presence and I, Jesus, here I am. I'm messed up. I've got wrong thoughts. I'm not a generous man. I'm attracted to that woman in my office who's not my wife. I'm really ticked off at John who messed with me last year in that business deal and I know I'm supposed to forgive him but I hate his guts. And Jesus says, come on in. Come on into the circle. Bring who you are. I can deal with it. I can deal with it. But you have to come into the circle. You see, if you stay outside the circle and you say, oh, it's no big deal. Well, I'm not mad at John. Well, oh, no, no, my marriage is fine. I'm not attracted to that woman. You see, if we stay out there in the land of denial, even God can't help us. Is this making sense? Is, Is this connecting? Now, this is so important, men and women, for us to catch as a body. Because here at the church at Rocky Peak, if we can catch this concept, here's what will happen. We will be able to create a safe and authentic community where we come into the light together. We won't have to pretend. We won't have to fake it that we have it all together. We don't want to have to pretend that we always have the right answer or the right attitudes. It will be a safe place to come into our life groups and say, would you pray for me? There's this guy at work, he did me wrong, and I hate him. I know I'm not supposed to hate him, but I do hate him. I want to come into the light. I need some help with this. And instead of going, whoa, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to feel like that. We'll go, yeah, duh, I feel like that too. Come on in. Let's pray about it. You see, we'll come into the light and we'll create a healthy community here, a, a community of authenticity where we can live life together and be forgiven but also be purified. You see? Because the purifying power of God will not flow until we're honest about what we're facing. Now, I want to flesh this out just a little bit more because what I've found is that for many of us, especially of us longtime Christians, you do understand this. The people that had the hardest time with this concept in Jesus' day were the spiritual people. <laughs> and this is true. This is, I think the, one of the hardest places to be honest in the world is in church, you know, for Christians. This is so hard for us because we know what God expects and we're afraid if we're honest that he'll reject us. And so we don't wanna be honest about the stuff going on in our life because we're afraid that we're bad people. Well, guess what? You are a bad person, you know? (laughs) But the only way you're gonna be gonna be a good person is to bring your badness into the circle and let Jesus deal with it, you see? And so many times as believers, we have such a hard time. So I wanna flesh this out. I wanna give you three examples of areas in our lives that we need to learn to be ruthlessly honest. Now, of course, there's way more than three. Um, I know I originally had five, seven, nine, whatever, but there's just not enough time. And so unless we wanna do like an 18-week series on this message, uh, I just wanna give you some examples. Here's an example. One area you need to learn to be ruthlessly honest is in your fears. Oh, we all have fears. Um, some rational fears, some irrational fears. Um, you got fears of this, fears of that, but the reality is, unless we bring our, our fears into God's presence and are honest, God, I'm really afraid about this, guess what? God can't help us overcome our fears, 
But our fears hold us back, don't they, from becoming what God wants them to be. And they still control us whether we admit them or not. Let's take a wife. She's afraid for rational or irrational reasons. Could be either one. You'll see what I mean. But she's afraid that her husband is gonna have an affair. Now, maybe her first husband had an affair, so it's a rational fear. You know, maybe her husband is, really loves her with all his heart. There's really nothing to it, but for whatever reason, a grandfather, someone had, you know, someone had an affair someday, uh, somewhere in her family line, and so she has this fear. Now, do you think that fear is gonna impact her relationship with her husband? Absolutely. Well, what if she doesn't admit to herself? What if someone says to her, you know, sometimes it seems like you're always worried about your husband. He goes on trips and he's going on this and you're always worried about here and there and what he watches and this and that and you just, I mean, do you have a fear that your husband might have an affair someday? Just kind of, oh no, no. No, I'm fine. No, I totally trust my husband. Okay. So she's out of touch with her fear. Now let me ask you something. Do you think that fear is still gonna impact their relationship? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. See, our emotions always impact us. If we're not honest about them, we just get in the dark. We still get impacted by them, you see? And so, so fear is an example. What are you afraid of? We need to bring our fears into God's presence to say, God, I'm afraid. Now, let me tell you, men, this is harder for us sometimes. We've often been taught that as men, you shouldn't have fears. You know, you should be tough. Don't ever admit weakness. Well, guess what? Your fears are still gonna control you whether you admit them or not. And I'll tell you what, the, the biblical view of manhood, the man who can be tough and tender, is able to be a hard-charging man's man and yet still be very comfortable saying, I'm afraid. And anything less is just out of touch with reality. Uh, David's a great example. I mean, here's David. I mean, man's man. Even from a young man, it's, he was said of him, he leads Israel's armies in and out, fights Goliath, great king, tremendous leader of men. Yet David was able to be very honest about his fears. Look there in your note sheet. Here's just one example. You'll look at another one uh, in Psalm 32 in your life group homework this week when he wasn't so honest <laughs> and he learned the hard way. But here's a good example. He says, my thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. My heart is in anguish within me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like a pretty honest man? <laughs> pretty honest, isn't he? And he, what did he do? He took those fears to God and what happened if you read the Psalms? He takes the fears to God, God meets him in the fear, transforms him, gives him peace again, right? And so that's what happens. When we take our fears into the light, God is able to meet us and transform us. When we don't, we're not honest, we, we stay in our life. Uh, a second example, a second emotion is the emotion of anger. Now, this one's very hard for us as Christians to be honest about. You know, you've probably all known people that, oh, I'm not angry as the, the, you know, the veins are bulging out on the side of their neck. Uh, no, no, I'm a little frustrated, but uh, no, I'm not angry. Um, very hard for us to be honest about. Why? Because we know that many times we're not supposed to be angry. I mean, many times in the Bible it says, put off your anger, get rid of your anger. And so we don't want to admit we are angry because and that means we're a bad person. We're doing what the Bible's not saying. So we pretend we're not angry. Well, guess what? Pretending doesn't take it away. And it still comes up. You'll meet people, they're just angry people. 
They've got all this anger inside of them. They've got so much anger, they don't know what to do with it. It's not anger about anything. They can't even ask, tell them what, they, what they're angry about anymore. They're just angry. They're critical, they're negative, they're irritable, they're angry. You see, and our anger controls us. It's not just with people. It can be angry with God. Have you ever been angry with God? I mean, really angry. How do you feel about that? One of the prophets in the Old Testament is a man named Jeremiah. He had a difficult assignment. He was supposed to tell Israel for 30 to 40 years that they were gonna get destroyed unless they got their act together. As a result, people didn't like him very much. It happens. <laughs> you tell people they're all messed up and they're gonna get destroyed, they usually not a real positive way to win friends and influence people. And so they, they mocked him and they persecuted, they multiple, multiple, several times tried to kill him. And yet he was faithful. And finally the day came when the nation was destroyed, brutally destroyed, he had to watch. You'll study this in your life group homework this week. His honest reaction before God. But just to give you a little bit of a feeling of what an honest guy this was. You know, God calls him to be a prophet. He's like, yeah, God, I'll be your prophet, you know. After a few years of it, he's like, man, this, this is not a good thing. God, you ripped me off. You deceived me. Whoa, whoa. Wait a second, Jeremiah. You're talking to God. I don't think you should be saying God deceived you. You know, God doesn't really deceive people. He, he's the truth, you know. He's the light. Doesn't really do that. Maybe you could say you didn't understand. Don't say the D word. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, look what Jeremiah says in your notes. See, oh, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. Whoa. But nice knowing you, Jeremiah. Let's turn to another one. Here's one of my favorites. Let's turn to the book of Job. Oh, that's the book of Job for you new Christians. <laughs> How many new Christians go there thinking there's gonna be job opportunities? I need a job. How do I get one? You need some tips. I know, you, you're giving me a hard time. You're right. How, where, are those ta- where are those tabs? Yeah, I'll tell you what. See, I normally like paperclip my Bible so I can look at my notes while you're turning there. Um, this little confession sidebar has nothing to do with anything. Um, and somehow that, that thing came out and I definitely need some tabs. Um, yeah. oh, thank you, just before Psalms. Good, good, yeah. Uh, good. Any other suggestions? <laughs> uh, like, hey, that second point, that was really hurting. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, it's enough, enough, all right? They're like, yeah, no shoes. I mean, what are you thinking? You know, maybe Jesus wore this 2,000 years ago. Styles change, you know? Okay, uh, Job chapter 7. Now, you know the story of Job, right? I mean, Job just was, he, he was a hard luck case. I mean, you know, God, you know, through a series of events, takes these, he just really loves God with all his heart. He's, 
he's really an honest man, a blameless guy, and his life's really blessed, and then he goes through his time, he loses everything, and so his, his friends come along and tell him, that, well, the reason you've lost everything is you probably did something wrong, which is what friends are for. And, um, and so Job is just like really trying to figure this out. Why is life so messed up, you know? And God, wh- what's with it, God? Why can't you take a break, you know? Like, God, can't you just leave me alone for a while? Like, God, do you have to watch me all the time? It's like, you're burning me out. God, I mean, if you don't back off pretty soon, I'm just gonna be dead. And then who will you have to torture, you know? So how about just cut me a little slack? Now you go, whoa, does it really say that? Uh-huh, it really does. Let's look at it. Chapter seven, and verse 11. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I'm not gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm gonna speak out of the anguish of my spirit. I'm gonna complain in the bitterness of my soul. He's gonna complain to God now. Hey God, am I a sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under dark? What do you think, under the guard? What do you think, like some sea monster God? You know, I, I didn't really get that one, but it seemed to be meaningful to him. Okay, verse 16. He said, I despise my life. I, I don't wanna live forever. Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, time out, Job, you're talking to God. Leave me alone? <laughs> How about uh, maybe you could focus on someone else for a while? You know? Um, leave me alone. My days have no meaning. I mean, what is man that you make so, such a big deal about him anyway? That you give him so much attention. You have to examine him like every moment. And you test him every moment. I mean, will you never look away from me? Can you just leave me alone for an instant? I mean, if I've sinned, what have I done to you? Oh, watcher of men. I mean, why have you made me your target? Am I like some kind of burden to you or something? And why don't you just pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? Pretty soon I'm gonna lie down the dust. You'll search for me. I'll be no more. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Whoa. I think, you know, if I'm his friend, I'm just kind of backing away at this point. Okay. The lightning's about to fall. Just, there he is, God. Your son, your servant, Job. It's time for a funeral, you know gonna go to be with Jesus. Wow. Does God really want us to be honest with him? Wow. Wow. And so many times in our lives, we have stuff going on, things that we're ashamed of, and we're afraid to bring it into the light. We're afraid we'll get zapped, and God says, no, no, no. It's counterintuitive time here. I need you to come just as you are Come into the light because there we can deal with this and there I can heal you. Let's look at one of their motives. Why do you do what you do? If you want to become like Jesus, you have to get ruthlessly honest with yourself of why do you do what you do, especially when your motives are questionable or even dark. Why do you do what you do? Is that out of fear? Is it out of anger, like we talked about? Is it jealousy? Is it lust? Is it a fantasy? Is it ambition? Is it pride? Is it hurt? Why do you do what you do in your marriage? Why do you do what you do on your job? Why do you do what you do in ministry? Do you realize that even in serving God sometimes, we can do ministry for reasons that are all about us? to get our own sense of importance, to make people, you know, think highly of us. 
Why do you do what you do? People who grow are people who've learned to be really honest with God about these things. God, here's what's going on in my life. Brennan Manning is an author. He wrote a book called Ruthless Trust. It's really on a different topic. It's not the same topic. Coincidentally, it has the word ruthless in it, which I'm always drawn to. Um, It's a long quote, but it's so worth it. So just follow along. Sometimes we harbor an unexpressed suspicion that Jesus cannot handle all that goes on in our minds and our hearts. We doubt that he can accept our hateful thoughts, our cruel fantasies, our bizarre dreams. We wonder how he would deal with our primitive urges, our inflated illusions, our exotic mental castles. The deep resistance to making ourselves so vulnerable, so naked, so unprotected, is our implicit way of saying, Jesus, I trust you, but there are limits. By refusing to share our fantasies, our worries, our joys, we limit God's lordship over our life, and we make it clear that there are parts of us that we do not wish to submit to a divine conversation. It seems that the master had something more in mind when he said, trust in me. Now, how different. Think with me, the Apostle Paul. I love this guy. Romans chapter seven. There on your note sheet. Look what he says. You find it? You've got it, right? You don't have Romans chapter seven? Okay, well, it was the best point. We'll just move on. Um, I'll just, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll just tell you what it says. Paul in Romans chapter seven, he says, I know that in me there is no good thing that is in my flesh. In other words, who I am apart from Jesus. He said, I've come to the conclusion that though I want to do the right thing, I have the best of intentions, I don't have the power to pull it off, that in me there is no good thing. Can I tell you something? That is a great freeing day when you come to that day and you realize that. That without Jesus, you're pretty messed up. And you're good with that. You're okay with that. I I remember in my life what a freeing day that was when I began to realize who I was apart from Jesus. And so therefore, when I came to him, I didn't have to edit my prayers. I didn't have to pretend to be something different than I was. I could admit the junk. I could admit the hatred. I could admit the lust. I could admit whatever it was because he wasn't gonna be surprised. And he was good with that. And that he would purify me and he would take care of me and he would change me I just had to come in and say, God, here's your problem again. I'm home. Can you fix me? What a great day that was, a day of freedom. When I began to pray the prayer that I've often prayed since, God, here's a problem in my life. I trust you to take care of it in your perfect time. Remember, we've been talking in this series about how God is on the job. The Holy Spirit is the general contractor in our life. Well, let's say you had a remodel, but you said, well, you can fix this room and this room and this room, but let's not go in these two rooms. They are too messed up. I'm too embarrassed. What would happen? He'd fix these areas, the areas you need it the most, he wouldn't fix. What a freeing day it is. We say, Jesus, come on in. Can we go to the worst room first? Right over here, this room. I'm ashamed to say what's behind this door. I'm ashamed to say what I think and what I feel. I need your help. I'm gonna open the door. Would you come on in? I'm gonna confess my sin and ask you to cleanse me 
and ask you to purify me because you're on the job and you started this work in me and you promised you'd finish it. What a day of freedom that is. Okay, three, those are three quick examples. This last point is gonna be very quick. You're saying that's a good thing because I've got plans for the rest of the day. Uh, it, it really is quick. This is really sort of the intro into the lesson for next week, but it really fits with this. You know, next week we're doing the law of relationships, law number six, and so I hope you can be with us. But, uh, but the second point goes like this. There's, there's, we're doing the two-step of honesty, remember? Honesty is the first step, so we're gonna break that first step down into two steps. First step is being honest with God. What's the second step? Well, the second step is that we, you need to start sharing your secrets with some safe people. If you wanna grow to be like Jesus, you can't do it on your own. You can't reach your potential on your own. We are social beings. God's designed this way. It's impossible to become like Jesus on your own, just you and God. We have to have other people in our life who help us in this journey. We'll talk in depth about that next week, how God's designed us. But if you wanna grow full speed, you wanna become like Jesus, you're gonna need some other people that, that you can share who you really are with. Now remember what John said, he said, we write these things to you so that you can have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So the fellowship isn't just with the Father and the Son, the fellowship is with us, right? Other Christians who have been pulled into the circle, who stepped in the circle. And so to grow at full speed, we have to have people in our life that we can share honestly who we are. You just cannot become like Jesus on your own. Now, I realize this is very hard for many of us to do, especially if you've been burned before by people. I often use the analogy of a castle. Think of your, your heart is like a castle, the castle of your heart. And, you've, and, and if you've been hurt before, what we tend to do is we put up a huge wall to protect that, that castle, don't we? We want to keep out all the bad people. You know, maybe you grew up in a family where your opinion wasn't valued. Maybe you grew up in a family where there's certain emotions that were not okay to have in your family. You realize this, right? In different fam certain families, certain emotions are okay to have, certain emotions are not okay to have. It will vary from family to family. This one, you can be sad but not angry. This one, you can be angry and not sad, that kind of thing. So, so you grew up and you learned. There's certain kinds of emotions you never express. You never share those things. You get shot down. There's certain, you just don't share your opinion. No one wants to know and no one cares about your opinion. No one cares about your problem. And so if you grew up in a home like that or maybe you've gone through a really tough betrayal in your life of one sort or another, oftentimes we can build a huge wall around the, the castle of our heart to protect the enemy from getting at us. We dig a deep moat just to make sure no one gets in. No one is ever going to hurt me like that again. You know, the bad thing though about walls and moats is they not only keep the bad people out, they keep the good people out. The people who God is sending as his messengers with supplies of encouragement, supplies of challenge, and supplies of help and support and encouragement and so here's what we have to do. We have to learn to let the drawbridge of our life down at times. So we let certain safe people in. And we share the true secrets of our heart, the things we don't share with anyone. 
This is who I am, who I am in the dark when no one else is around. And you'll be amazed at the power and the freedom that comes, how God delivers his grace through his people into your life. Now, of course, we have to choose these people wisely. They have to be safe people. You say, well, what's a safe person? Well, that's a long answer. But let me give you three things real quick. There's no place on your note sheet you know, designed for this. Just write them down real quick. Number one, I think a safe person is number one, someone who can understand or relate to what you're sharing. You don't want to share something and, and have someone say, I can't believe you struggle with that. That's stupid. You know, that's just not a safe person. Uh, they, they have to understand. They've got to relate. They have to be able to go, oh, I get that. I, I can understand. I can see how that would feel that way or whatever. Number two, they, they, you have to have someone who won't use your information against you. You know, there's some people, what you share with them today, they will use to manipulate you tomorrow. And so you don't want to share with someone who is going to use your information against you in some way. And number three is confidentiality. A safe person holds confidences. What you share is secrets with them remain secrets. Safe people. Now, these kind of people, usually you don't develop them right away. They usually take time, don't they? One of the reasons I'm so big into life groups is because this is a place you can begin to test the water with people. What I find is that different life groups will go to different levels of vulnerability, and that's okay. But, and, and many times groups will become quite vulnerable, and that's a beautiful thing. But sometimes the deepest things you need to share may not be appropriate to share in that group. But you know what a life group does? It provides you some people that says, you know what, that person and I kinda hit it off, I think they might become my safe person. So you share at one level in the life group, but you take it to a whole new level outside the group. You see what I'm saying? Well, how do you find people like that? Well, being in a life group. You know, it's like, you think you're gonna find them here? Like, excuse me, hi, I'm Mike. Are you a safe person? Just wondering, I'm looking. Mike said to look for one, so I'm just looking, you know. It's not gonna happen here. You have to be in a smaller setting where you can kinda test and measure people. This is a person I think can understand. They've gone through some hard times. They have a heart for people who are suffering. I think they would reach out to me. Uh, they're not a gossip. I've watched their life. You see, and you can begin, and then you can begin to test the waters and share a little bit and see how they respond to things. Okay, let's wrap it up. There's your note sheet, James 5, 16. Do you have this one? Yeah. Hey. hey, we're on. <laughs> Confess your sins to each other. So remember, we enter the circle of life by God, by confessing to God. Well, we also enter by confessing our sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't it be awesome if God creates a community here of authenticity at Rocky Peak? We're not perfect. We're certainly not people who are living in disobedience like we're gonna high-handed. We're, we know we have to leave the darkness for that. But we're not a perfect people. We have lusts and we have jealousies and we have bad attitudes and we've handled life poorly this week. But it's okay because we're creating a community of authenticity. We could come in and we could, we could pull up next to those people that were in our life group and we could say, hey, would you pray for me? Man, this thing happened at work and I'm really struggling with bitterness. I wanna come to the Lord's presence and I just need to, I need you to pray for me that I could be healed, you know? Would you pray for me? Wow. You see, that's the kind of community 
that God wants to build here at Rocky Peak. A community of people who are not pretenders, who are not fakers, who are not hypocrites. People who are serious about following Jesus, but people who are still seriously flawed. And yet it's okay, because God doesn't ask us to be non-flawed to come into the circle. He just asks us to bring our flaws into the circle where we can be healed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing at this church. You know how you've just put such a love in my heart already for this place. God, and we just, we don't wanna waste our time. We wanna come into your presence and be healed. Lord, we don't wanna fake it. We don't wanna pretend. We wanna leave our disobedience behind, but we also wanna leave our denial behind. For many of us, God, this will be a hard thing to learn to be honest with you. It's gonna feel awkward. It's gonna feel inappropriate. It's gonna feel like a lack of respect for you. It's gonna feel scary as we admit to ourselves that we're not what we're supposed to be and we're not sure your grace is big enough for us. And so it's gonna be scary, but help us as a congregation to move into the circle of light where we can pray for one another and where you can transform and purify our hearts and forgive us, but also cleanse us. Make us like your son. God, as the master contractor, we invite you into our congregation, into every room and every house. We ask you to renovate us for your honor and glory. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Great, outstanding message. Isn't that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? It's what we all long for, isn't it? To have transparency and honesty and to be able to be who we are, authentic Christianity. And isn't that what the world criticizes the church for, is when we're not authentic and we're phony? And uh, boy, I need that. We all need that because the real test, isn't it, that we learn to love each other in our humanness, in our flaws, as we enter into the light together. What a, what a powerful message. Get the tape. Pass it on to whoever you can in your neighborhood. We're going to give of tithes and offerings now, and uh, this is an expression of our, our honesty to God to say, Lord, I want to worship you. I want to honor you. I want this to be true of my heart, not just something I do as a matter of routine. But I'd like to give opportunity to uh, be sure and fill out the keep in touch card especially if you're with us first time second time third time mark it on there because we'd love to know that you're here and be able to send information to you so that you can know more about the church and how you can get connected to a life group or one of the many many ministries that we have here in the church because we're a family and we want to be able to connect with you and if you have a prayer request maybe there's something that the Lord just revealed to your heart as Mike was speaking just jot that down as a prayer request we would love to pray for you and in fact, as our, as our uh, service closes, right in the back, in the back corner of the room, there is a group of people that would love to be able to pray for you and to be able to, to give you direction through God's word. And we'd just like to invite you to, to just find your way over there after the service and, and just begin by being honest with somebody that can pray for you and lift you up before the Lord. As the ushers come forward, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing upon this offering. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of giving as unto you. Lord, we ask that you would continue to peel the layers of our heart, 
that we'd be willing to trust and to be open and honest about where we are and enter into your light and allow you to transform us and make us into the people, into the church that you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand together. I just want to challenge you as we, uh, as we leave today. I just want to challenge you to be more honest in your own relationship with God. Uh, it is the first step towards, uh, towards growth. It's the first step. Just by definition, it's the first step because we can't get better until we admit what's wrong, right? It's just kind of the way you stop and think about it. It's sort of obvious. And that's why God's so big on confession. If you confess your sin, why? Not because he's trying to humiliate not because he doesn't know, but because he's inviting us into the light where we can be healed. He's the great physician. Only one kind of person Jesus couldn't heal. It's the kind of person who wouldn't admit there was something wrong. And so as a congregation, I just invite us, as, as a congregation, to come together into his presence and say, let's be a place of healing. Let's be a place of honesty. Let's be a place of authenticity a place where we bring all of who we are, good, bad, and the ugly, into his presence so we become more like him. That's what it's all about. Have a great time in your life groups this week as you, uh, as you roll up your sleeves and talk about this more. Some great passages you're gonna study in this that kind of affirm and take us a little bit deeper. And then we'll see you next week. Well, next week's a law of relationships, law number six. Uh, spirituality is a team sport. We can't get there on our own. We started that today. We'll finish that next week. See you. Have, uh, turn around and say hi, and we'll see you next weekend.